A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I am A.M. Kozak. I'm here with my co-host, Amanda Earl. And we are here with two special guests. On my left, Fiona Ann Mitchell. On my right, Helen Robertson. And I think, Amanda, we should read some bios really quickly. Yeah. And then we start. Do well, you... before we, before we oh, start that. Oh, okay, no. What did we, you want to do? Well, I thought we should say we're, the episode is... is um, oh, that's a good, yeah. We're planning on talking... I, Every once in a while, Aaron do an episode. Aaron and I do an episode. Aaron do. I like my my grammar so good. It's perfect. I haven't had <laughs> enough coffee or tea today. Uh, it's only noon, so it's early on a Sunday morning. We do an episode where we talk about books and poems that we've read and stuff like that. So I, I we both thought it would be a good idea if we if we added more people. And I sort of had the idea of doing a kind of a book club thing. So that's the idea behind this. Although we won't necessarily be talking about the same books because that takes a lot of coordination and I wasn't in the mood for to coordinate that much this time around but maybe we'll do that in the future so that's why we're all here together and yeah okay bios now bios now bios Fiona Ann Mitchell is a poet from Ottawa Ontario and holds an MFA in creative writing from the University of Victoria her work can be found in Freefall the Maynard the Capilano Capilano Review Arc Poetry Magazine and she does editing for bywords Thank you very much. Helen Robertson is a genderqueer trans woman moving through the lifelong process of accepting how lucky they've been, using poetry to excise their ire and sorrow, hopefully turning it into something worthwhile indeed. Uh, their work has appeared or is forthcoming in Bywords, CV2, The Puritan, The New Quarterly, and The Grimoire by Coven Editions. They were long listed for the 2019 Vallon Poetry Prize. Welcome, Helen and Fiona. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. How do we start? So yeah, we all have read different things, and we are all going to talk about things that we have read. Um, does anyone want to start the discussion? Because I don't. Oh, you don't want to start? I do not want to start. Oh, oh. I do not want to start. Anyone feeling brave? If no one is, Amanda will feel brave. I'm always... I don't mind. Okay, I'll start. Okay, um, so... Um, what I one of the th many things that I've read, and I've I've read a few of the things that other people are planning to read too, so I might chime in in places, uh, is the latest issue of Cantheus, issue seven, and so Cantheus magazine celebrates poetry and prose by women, transgender men, non-binary, two-spirit, and genderqueer, gender non-conforming writers. It's in its seventh issue now. I can't remember when it started, but you can go visit the oh. site, cantheus.com. Three or four years ago? Yeah, something like that. And uh, one of the editors is Claire Farley, who lives in Ottawa. So, and, the, and a lot of the, the um, they have a board and they're in Ottawa, Toronto, and I, I, maybe other places. So uh, this, this issue, issue seven, was published this past fall, and it has in common the themes of connection and community. In her editor's notes at the beginning of the issue, Claire Farley talks about wanting spaces to be joyful and nourishing given the draining nature of working together to create a better world can have, and especially having to do with working towards equality. So the work in this issue is joyful and nourishing, and the contributors share tragedy, grief, trauma, and joy, and there's a real sense of community. I loved a lot about, actually there's there nothing in here that I, 
I didn't really enjoy, including I really loved the artwork of uh, Rowan Red Sky, which is colorful and alive. Uh, there were poets I was familiar with in here, like Pearl Peary, who wrote a couple of really interesting poems. Kirby had some great poems in here too. And then there were writers I hadn't heard on be heard before, Emily Neifel, um, Jesse Holt, and Jane Shee, who th their poems were really interesting. And then Margaret Christakos had these de uh, this delectable ice cream woman, which was so full of sound. There's also fiction here. Bara Arar had a story about giving clothes and hijabs to a young immigrant girl. So um, there was at least one line or image or phrase that got to me um, and everyone. And I, I, if I if I can, I'd like to read, I guess, uh, shall I read this? Yeah, this, uh, with the permission of uh, Emily Kneifel uh, taken for granted, I'd like to read uh, one of uh, their poems, Sharing a Game. It's a prose poem. Have you ever sat like a fish hook, swallowed in circles, rippling out from your back? The loosest, the voices clamoring out from the living room, loud with the vodka you bought for their lips. Cologne superfluity, restless and glossy, black purse, coiled strap to come back to the barks. The second smaller, tenser space, where your daddy lies, sleepy eyes on the mattress on the floor. Phone again. Toby yelps. I'll do it, dad. The dog slithers in and you watch what escapes. You bound to smaller bounds, your side of the bed, your susurrating marker. It's okay for you to do anything. He deflates to the plastic and glass. Her side is so tucked and so neat. Hanging silence, not even by. You sit on his bed, which holds in a breath. It collapses toward you. It tumbles him down. He of the drowsy hands, dulled out reaching, pulls you to the peak of him. He clasps your head with the whole of his hand, your hair his veil, rumbling like a rock bed because you unleash your old braids. He says, I'm sorry, like he always does, like he always sleeps closest to the ground, which is its own kind of pattern. You nod, nod, nod. The dog tucks into the statue that still isn't yours, and you saddle your hand on him because he is just good, pungent as color. Your dad thumbs your sleep face, arcs the crag of your nose like a worry stone, says my poom poom, your oldest nickname, butchered French, always so joyful on the outside, always so thoughtful on the inside. He wrestles your hair as your head accrues, all the room static, so many thoughts, so he can see the rolling. I wish I knew what they were, is what he mouths as you think it. So that was uh, Emily Neifel. And just to read uh, Emily Neifel's bio here, Emily Neifel is sick and so is their mother. And in fact, sharing is about uh, their mother. They are everyone as, uh, they are everyone, a critic at Adwat, Prism, Exclaim and Elsewhere, and their et cetera's whip or will in Ghost City Review, Bad Nudes, Theta Wave and others. M recommends humming anytime you feel afraid. So that's uh, M Ni Emily Neifel. And um, at the end, I guess there's one image that really, uh, really was particularly interesting to me um, in Al Ali Duff, who's a local writer in her poem, uh, Nan Kept My Mother In. Uh, she writes, live fiercely, she said, get stung. I think that should be on a t-shirt or a button or something. Live fiercely, get stung. So that's uh, that's Cantheus. And uh, if you haven't had a chance, you can subscribe to it. Uh, they ha they put out two issues a year. They've got uh, um, an, an award, the Priscilla Apple Memorial Award for Poetry, named after a 
poet who was quite fierce and interesting and writer uh, who died uh, not that long ago. So the deadline for that is December 1st. If you can't afford the $25 entry fee, let them know there are a few donations of entry fees available. And uh, they also have on their sites reviews, essays, interviews, prose and poetry. So that's the latest Cantheus. And I have all of their, actually on my shelf over there, I have all their other issues right beside the manual typewriter. <laughs> so yeah. Have you, so that's issue seven, you have all yeah. the other issues. Have yeah. you noticed any sort of transitions over the course of the seven issues in the magazine or anything that's changed or grown with with what they're doing or anything that sticks out to you over the course of this of the series well i feel like originally uh, i could be wrong about this i feel like originally they were sort of focusing primarily on women and now i've noticed they've added transgender men and non-binary writers to it i could be wrong about that kirby i think it's the first time i've seen a non-binary uh writer that i i recall in in the issue and stuff so um that's that's interesting to me as well um I think uh, it's always been really good. Um, I can't remember. They added more artwork, maybe. They've always they've always had artwork. a feature yeah. artist, and they've always included in the back of each issue is an interview with um, with the artist as well, oh, which okay. is pretty good as well. I don't remember if it's. I think they've added more to their online content in the past while, maybe. So, could be that. I think they've added more board members too. It's a lot more intersectional maybe than it was at the start. So mm -hmm. it's something they've always been very mindful of though, but it's a good, it's a good magazine. This one, uh, one thing about this issue is uh, one of the editors who's been there is uh, Kira <coughs> Nichol and she's now, she's left the magazine. This was her last issue. So well, I, can, I can mention that the current members of the Cantheus Collective are Manahel Mandikwala, Puneet Dutt, Ashley Hinn, Sarah McDonnell, Lee McLean Evans, and Shu Kyle Yang. So those are the current members of the board. So it's interesting. They have a, a board. And one of the issues that they've had, like a lot of other um, literary organizations in Can in, in Ontario, yeah. is that the that the um, the um, uh, Ontario government has taken away a lot of funding. So mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons for their contest is because they don't have they've gotten a lot less funding. They didn't get funding from the Ontario Arts Council this year because of the Cuts, cutbacks yeah. from the Ford government. So that's another reason. It's a good resistance magazine. It's a good resistance issue. So yeah, I highly recommend it. Any other any other thoughts on Cantheus? I don't know what the name means. I have to say it's hmm. something I forget if I ever knew. I had never actually thought about that. That Yeah, I have no idea what the origin of that, uh, the name of the uh, journal is. Yeah. And I... Actually, I need to see if I'm still subscribed. I may have uh, let it lapse and not realized. There you go. Um, Claire, if you're listening, is, is Helen still subscribing? <laughs> <laughs> let us know. Give us a call. No, if just... not, I'm going to re-up for sure. It's just go. that, um, yeah, I've definitely accidentally done double subscriptions at times on other magazines. Oh, where I know. It's like, oh, so I'm subscribed for four years instead of two. Well. That's not a bad thing. It's really not, but uh, it just means I'm more likely to forget because in two years, I might remember when it's running out. If it was four years ago that I subscribed okay. to something. You're not going to remember. Don't trust my memory That's that it. much at all. Cantheus is one of the magazines that I read back to back. Another one is ARC. I, I usually read ARC Poetry Magazine. I read the whole thing. And also Brick. Brick. I love that all those three of the, all three of those magazines. Sometimes I just flip through magazines and, and stuff, but... Uh, well, what comes up when I search Cantheus meaning is just the magazine, although Canthus is interesting. Yeah. It means either of the angles formed by the meeting of an eye's upper and lower eyelids. That's cool. So yeah, maybe cool. they put the eye in canth Canthus. Oh! <laughs> and if they didn't, they can claim to, because that's there pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. And, and who, who's next? What are we going to talk about next? What's, uh, 
Do you want to talk about uh, Ariel Twist's book? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the uh, book is Disintegrate, Disassociate, and um, I, I yeah, I think uh, we were actually at the same reading. Did you um, at uh, Plan Ninety Nine at yeah. the Manx? But in May. Oh, yeah, that was. Um, I I didn't remember where it was except uh, she dated the signature she uh, put May fourth apparently. Yeah. Always date your signatures. I was taught that by Seymour Maine in the class that uh, really? I shared with uh, with Helen's mother Susan many years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, and honestly, like, if you get the chance to see her read, she is one of the best, like, stage presence readers I have ever seen. Like, she commanded the stage, and it was just such a delight. She had such a good banter, such confidence while reading that you couldn't help but be held wrapped. And it was absolutely uh, amazing. And it was somewhat frustrating reading the book because as I was going through, I was just kind of thinking... Well, this is very similar to the way I want to write and what I want to write about. Oh, yeah. Damn and it. And it's so much better. Yeah. Damn it. There, yeah. Should be a, there should be a word in German for that. You know, one long word that says, this is exactly what I was going to write. Uh, but uh, this person has already done it better, so fuck it. <laughs> I think that's a word. Oh, luckily, I didn't uh, uh, succumb to the fucking uh, attitude. Yeah. It was more that, okay, so I just need to get better and better and better and better. And um, take inspiration uh, from some bits because, like, um, one of the poems actually that I uh, uh, that was uh, long listed for Valum, uh, I took ah, there it is. Um, I did a uh, little thing in it that uh, was somewhat taken at the time from uh, the slash in uh, Dream Me Daddy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Or rather, Dream Me Harder Daddy. Uh, and uh, it was interesting because uh, when I was reading uh, Holy Wild as well, I noticed... When Benoit's book, yeah. Governor uh, General Award-winning book and well-deserved, yeah. Have you, read, uh, have you guys read that book? I have not no. read it. Uh, yeah. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. I was I was going to wait until... Before uh, you invite me on uh, here, I was going to wait until uh, the Governor General's uh, uh, readings just so I could get it signed. Yeah. But... Um, I had read a bit of it uh, at uh, my mother's at uh, Thanksgiving. Um, and, uh, sorry, I'm getting away from myself. Anyway, she <laughs> d- I don't remember which poem it's in, but uh, she does a similar thing to um, uh, what Ariel twisted in um, Dream Me. And so it was kind of uh, interesting to yeah. see uh, her doing that as well when I had very much taken that inspiration from Ariel Twist rather than her. Would have taken it from either of them. They're both fantastic. They are. They're both really but, um, yeah, it's the Thanksgiving. I was there with um, uh, my... Uh, like probably my best friend Kay she's uh um essentially like she's sorry I'm looking for a poem page trying to talk and while looking for a poem we also need a special word for that <laughs> but um yeah uh we were both uh, reading at the same time uh one poem from uh um the book which was uh, a love letter for trans girls and yeah. just well, that's a great poem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I reread it again uh, when I got the book, and I was nearly crying in the cafe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it just was bringing up all the emotions. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I absolutely adore uh, Disintegrate, Disassociate. I was disappointed I wasn't able to go to the um, reading she was doing at um, uh, Venus Envy the next day because I was yeah, working. Yeah, I know. I, I was but... at the Writers' Festival the next day. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't go to that. Yeah, but uh, it was good that... I thought it was good that she read there as well. Yeah. 
What about the book did you find most um, memorable or that had the biggest impression on you? I thought you said unmemorable. I thought, what? What? I <laughs> could have mentioned that too if you want. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you might not remember it. Yeah, I was going to say it. <laughs> um, I would say mostly just that uh, the uh, length of the poems, because I feel like maybe I'm wrong here, but just I've read so many things where it's longer and longer poems, whereas a lot of Ariel is like, not all of them, but yeah. a lot of them are like short and punchy Powerful, and just yeah. get right to the emotional points. She gets points. in, she gets out. Yeah. yeah. She gets in, she punches, she gets out. <laughs> You're either crying or left bleeding on the floor by the end of the poem. <laughs> yeah. And some, well, yeah. And you some should time... write the back of her thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've definitely found that with some of them, it's like, it goes long and it's really, uh, emotionally affecting and then the Volta hits and it's just oh a whole nother level of uh, feels on top of that like yeah. it's just it made me feel feelings and that's what I love in a, a nice uh, uh, in a poetry book especially one with short poems I like when they just drive to the point and just bend you to the uh, whim of the emotion they're trying to create you like to be manipulated by the book. <laughs> basically, yeah, basically, no, no. yeah. You're, You're not wrong. I think sometimes, too, like, sometimes it's hard to articulate how we're feeling about something, and then someone writes something that's exactly what you, what you, um, what you're feeling. Yeah. I liked in this... a lot of dog ears in that one. I'm I though. do, yes. And I have, um, I haven't, I ha also have a signed copy from May 4th, 2019. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot um, I loved about this. I love the fact there's a fire throughout the whole book and fire, it's, it's, um, it's, it can be a representation of destruction, but it also can be a re representation of sort of like beginning anew. And she doesn't use the image of a phoenix in here, but she uses a lot of fire imagery and there's a lot of uh, indigenous uh, imagery in here as well, which I found interesting as well. Uh, yeah, she's she's got this kind of, she's representing violence in the book, but also a tenderness. So basically the tenderness comes across with their relationships with indigenous people. The violence often comes across with the sexual relationships with uh, cis white men, for instance. And it's, yeah, it's quite, yeah. I mean, and it's very sexually, it's, it's, it's very frank sexually. So mm. it would be a lot to read. Um, there's a lot of uh, imageries of the body, a lot of color. Um, yeah, I have a lot of dog ears. You're right. Let me see if I have a dog ear that's particularly dog-eared. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, they're all good. I mean, I, I tend to do that. Oh, there's some. There's actually a long poem that I really liked in here, which is like three pages long, called The Girls, which I thought mm, was really yes, good. Yes. And there's a lot of things, too, like the speaker of the poem um, also... Um, um, a lot of times there's a, there's a she um, and those those um, there'll be things like a goddess without a name and then there are things like only rats will see her beauty so there's there's this kind of um, a par a kind of a, a contradiction between mm. seeing oneself as beautiful but also feeling like others don't see you as beautiful mm. I thought there was a lot in this book yeah I know yeah, uh, definitely one thing I f uh, feel that she uh, touches on a lot which is something that I've written occasionally uh, about as well and it's just really comes across so well in this book is the um, the uh, raising of uh, cis het white male desire mm. as like that is the yeah. pinnacle that is yeah. what you seek and that it's not a good thing to seek but it can be so validating at the yeah. same time but even if it is validating, you can recognize that it's a harmful validation. I feel like that's mm -hmm. what that, like, 
that's what it's playing into with uh, the comparisons, the contradictory comparisons that you brought up there, that the ones whose opinion is valued are not the ones who are seeing the true beauty of her or of right. uh, indigenous uh, trans women. And yeah, it just comes across so well. And just, I love everything about this book. Right. Well, there, that could be on the back too as a blurb. Well, we'll make sure to include, uh, when we when I put up the episode, I'll make sure to include links to all the books. And this one came out from uh, Arsenal, the wonderful Arsenal Pulp Press mm-hmm. out in the West there, NBC. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll put up a link to that and to Cantheus and the, the other books to come. Yeah, yeah, that certainly sounds very emotional. Very it's good. It's it it. Yeah. very, it's very fiery. How about uh, Fiona? Would you would you like to jump in here and talk about a book or a book something? Or something? Absolutely. I'm going to apologize before I get going. I am one week out of uh, a cold, so I may have some coughing throughout, but I'm going to do my best power through. There's a lozenge in my mouth. There's water to my right. So hopefully we're good to go. <laughs> um, the book that I've been drawn to recently, I brought a few with me, um, but today I'd like to talk like to talk about uh, Glossalia by Marita Deschel, uh, 2013 from Anvil Press, and um, uh, this book definitely has a has a special place with me. Uh, Marita was uh, one of my teachers out at uh, the University of Victoria. Oh, okay. So uh, I believe I was there in 2013 when this book came out, and she was also my teacher. So hmm. I I have uh, a strong connection to the Connections. book. Connections. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, for th- for those reasons, but uh, also a strong connection to the book, just because it's an absolutely amazing book. Um, for those who haven't read it, uh, it's uh, a fictionalized account of uh, Joseph Smith, who is the founder of Mormonism, and it is portrayed, uh, it's the voices of his 34 wives. And so it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's executed super, super well. Um, it's the voices of these women um, and their different experiences. So there's some women who love the polygamous lifestyle. They love being the matriarchs uh, of this yeah. this family, if you want to use that word. There are young women who absolutely do not want to be involved but have been forced into this life. Uh, there's women who, um, there's uh, a poem about the, the woman who helps all the other women give birth and how she feels this is a powerful role in this uh, mm-hmm. community that she has. Um, so it's just all different kinds of voices. And um, to me, um, what's really executed super well and, and extremely compelling is her use of, of form throughout the book. Mm-hmm. So it opens uh, with a very strong, concrete poem, which is just the word wife repeated over and over again um, for about a paragraph or so. But uh, uh, in the middle, there there's a blank space. So that is a it it opens with this like stunning strong visual, and it only gets better from there. So where she's giving these women different personalities, she's also using that in the form. So there's poems that are are, are couplets. There's poems that are um, prose poems. There's poems that are uh, where she's used, there's erasure poems where she's used actual written works from these women mm-hmm. that she's found, and then she's created uh, an erasure work from that. Uh, there's pieces where she's putting like more of a modern spin, like using a term. Um, she's describing how this one woman's mother has forced her into this marriage, and, and her mother is acting like a stage mom. So that's not a term that would be used. Um, yeah. <laughs> used back then but yeah she's 
using it. And there's other poems that are extremely breathy and more uh, inner monologue type situation. Um, long poems, short poems. Um, so every time you turn the page, you don't know what to expect. And, and then you're getting a little bit, um, a little piece of the puzzle. And as the manuscript unfolds, you kind of get this, this whole picture of commentary about women and how we're sexualized and victimized and commentary on religion and 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 things like that so it's very compelling work sounds good and i wonder how what what made her decide to do that i'd be really interested to know what what why that subject i wish i had the answer to that um i i don't i know she's an extremely strong feminist um uh which was very uh inspirational to me um when I was uh, younger uh, in my writing process. Um, so I think her feminism probably drove her to to want to bring a voice to these women right and the and the yeah. commentary that comes with it. but as and but as to why she picked this uh, particular situation, I, I don't know. Well, well now now I'm curious, so I'll, I'll probably yeah <laughs> if I if I find anything out, I'll, I'll make a little note on the uh, I'll add a link to the mm-hmm. to so the entry. I saw her read from that. And Vic- when I was in Victoria yeah. back in, I think, 2014, maybe 2015. Um, and I think she did talk about why she did it, oh, but I don't remember you don't what remember. it was. Well, no, it was 2014. <laughs> well, she, she talked about the title, which means speaking, I think it means yeah, speaking, speaking in, in tongues, tongues, right? And then she had a bit of, like, talked a bit about it, so it might have something to do with that, like mm-hmm. why she... Her way in or something. Maybe something to do with language. I think it, or, I don't also know. with BC, there is that... Uh, community of polygamy and oh, what bountiful yeah, were, British there, yeah, Columbia. Yeah, that's right. That was a big. Um, is it like in I the Bible Belt area? In like in the interior, yeah, yeah. there's yeah, there's a predominant polygamous ish cult. I'm yeah. sorry to any listeners who are more familiar with this, and I don't know all the information, but um, if we can find a link, we'll put it up there. Bountiful BC. So she she may have experiences from living in like I know Around I believe she's area. from British Columbia originally. Oh, they, okay, so she may yeah. have had experience with the polygamy um, culture out there that maybe she wanted to look into a little bit more. I remember when I was first when I first moved there, I drove there from from here and. There was like an hour and a half uh, all of a sudden where all the only radio stations are just religious radio stations. Really? Yeah, it was like, we were just like, we go to different stations and be like, we'd hear music. Then it was like, oh, we're talking about Jesus again in this station. And it was just like, for like a long period, like there's this like, this area where it's just like all religious stuff. And I had no idea that existed in BC. No, I don't don't think I realized it either. I've heard of Bountiful, but. Yeah, there's like a little pocket, like a little pocket of a Bible belt in interior BC that is. And when you think about BC, like we predominantly think of Vancouver yeah, and the Victoria, Coast, but there's which is like very a, different, very, very different. different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, my husband is from Duncan, but mm. he also lived in other places in BC, like Kimberley and Cranbrook and places mm. like that. So, and I found, and Aaron and I have spoken about this extensively because um, we both spent time uh, in British Columbia focusing on on writing or aspects of writing. Right. Um, the so we're talking about cultural differences in BC, but the literary differences yeah. also yeah. exist out oh, in yeah. BC, which I found really interesting and really surprising when I was studying there. So what, what, like what, for instance? A lot of trees. Oh yeah, trees and sense. mountains and <laughs> eelgrass. Which like yeah. I'd read all these poems about eelgrass, and I was like, what? what? What the fuck is eelgrass? <laughs> but it was like a, it's I think seaweed in a stream. Anyways, um. I'm like that. I've never seen a cormorant except for on Facebook. Right. And I have or lichen, lichen. I've never seen lichen. It's in almost oh, every Canadian poem. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm a city person, you know. This yeah. is where I don't. But apparently there are cormorant in, in on on the Ottawa River. So okay, there you go. 
wasn't aware there was anything in the Ottawa River aside from ducks and pollution. There you go. Now you know. You If we can make someone learn something, <laughs> or someone can teach us something while we're here. I've never seen one except for on Facebook. So, yeah. And, and uh, okay, well, thank you very much. You're yeah. welcome. Um, I'll talk a little bit because um, I haven't yet, and then we can keep going around potentially. We'll see. So, we'll see. <laughs> um, we're done. So I'm reading, I read uh, Maggie Nelson's Bluet, Bluets. I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. Also, she talks about in the book how she was not sure how to pronounce it either. So I guess that's fine. Um, so this is a book that's pretty famous, I think, in poetry circles. I'd heard about it a number of times before I ended up buying it. And I saw it. Uh, Where did you, did you get it from here? Or did I you got get it in Windsor, at Windsor. Blue Oasis, I believe, when Blue I was Blue there. Blue Oasis, a place to buy books when you're in Windsor or order online. Are you going to order online from there? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> winging it. <laughs> I'm doing that. Okay. No uh, one's sponsoring us. Not even Lagavulin. Uh, so I finally I saw it there and I was like, oh, I've been hearing really good things about this book. So I picked it up and then I read it when I was camping in Quebec uh, in the summer. Where you I, did that great uh, interview with Justin LaBelle? Where, yeah, where I did that interview. This, and I love that interview. That I think great. it was that day we took a rowboat out and just rowed for a few hours and we took turns rowing. And when he was rowing, I was reading this book. And Out I loud? Had, uh, no, oh. maybe. I don't know. I was. Because that would be really cool. I was also drinking and smoking a lot, so I could. God knows <laughs> what I was doing. Maybe I was about to say that sounds super romantic. Drinking and smoking. Yeah. Until then. And it's what I actually. I had a. I didn't. I tried to put sunscreen on my own back, like with one hand, and I didn't get it on my back entirely. And I still have. The, there's still the burn from like July on my back. You should Oof. let him do it. All the same day. Yeah, I should have asked him to do it. You're right. Um, anyways. The mind boggles. <laughs> I read the book. And immediately upon starting to read the book, I was like, wow, this is excellent because it's it's exactly the type of writing that I like. It's prose like? poems. It's like a long and it's it's like a lot of the writers who I really love, like yeah. Lisa Robertson, a lot of Ann Carson's earlier stuff, Gertrude Stein, like yeah. my favorite writers is very has. I'm not sure how to exactly say what it is that kind of draws them all together. But this sort of writing style, I think, yeah. is is a lot of similarities. So I, what I said is that um Blends sort of a personal essay with mm -hmm. descriptions in a science in scientific and philosophical ways, but it still has the fragmented narrative of poems, which I really really enjoy. Um, and it uses like blue as a center that it keeps returning to and carries back to, which carries the books in its transitions. Um, it kind of reminds me of a bit of a, like you know those TV shows that have a lot of inside jokes and it's only funny if you like watch several episodes because you sort of get the jokes. Just watching Cheers right now, so we're re <laughs> binge watching Cheers, so sort of yeah. So like a show like like Arrested Development or like right. Veep has a bit of that too. Yeah. Um, it kind of and the way it just kind of returns to the same sort of words or themes or ideas every like handful of pages. It's kind of like that. Like yeah. you have to keep reading it to under sort of get the whole thing. Well, she does this neat thing too, where she it is uh, personal, like she's talking. You know, oh, yeah, her her own loss of a, of a, of a lover and uh, their relationship and it's a lot there's a lot of erotic stuff in there too but but uh, she does it's kind of like she uses the color to kind of get into that which yeah. is a really a neat idea we have made we made this uh, in a previous interview with Jason Christie he talked about how he was hoping to write a series of poems about color and I, I made this joke that, oh well you know that's hard because I've, I've tried to do stuff like that too and I it never worked he ended up writing something quite different but I said yeah 
that never works, but here she's managed, I think, here. I think it's a very difficult thing to write about. And yeah. I think the way she does it is just yeah. she very... She uses it as, a, as, a, as an anchor to kind yeah. of bring things in. And it's yeah. not just the way the color looks necessarily, no. but it's also just like there's a, a movie with the word blue in it that she'll talk about and like use some of that to like get into some other subjects. Yeah. And a way it opens... It and op- linguistics too. Yeah. yeah. And it opens with the word suppose. So right away you have this sort of like thought experiment type of a thing where you're going around along with her thoughts and it was very very personal and very intimate for that reason um i'm gonna read just a very short because it's it's kind of broken up into paragraphs yeah it's numbered numbered little uh paragraphs each of which are numbered yep so i'll read a short one and then we can as i know amanda you've also read it and others might want to chime in too i'll read this short paragraph and we can talk uh, more about it? it it's paragraph 215 and toward the end it is toward the end so when I first read this, I thought it was so great that I went and read it to my partner. Oh, wonderful. It often happens that we treat pain as if it were the only real thing, or at least the most real thing. When it comes round, everything before it, around it, and perhaps in front of it, tends to seem fleeting, delusional. Of all the philosophers, Schopenhauer is the most hilarious and direct spokesperson for this idea. As a rule, we find pleasure much less pleasurable, pain much more painful than we expected. You don't believe him? He offers this quick test. Compare the feelings of an animal engaged in eating another with those of the animal being eaten. So I really like that passage. I read that I read That's that awesome. aloud to Charles too, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's funny. That is kind of funny. funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I thought the image at the end was also just very like... Yeah. Yeah, it's very striking. I love when a piece ends with an extremely striking image. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite. So it le- then you're kind of left with it. And you're kind mm-hmm. of... Yeah, that's good. What I, what I thought, well, I, my little thing that I, my little blurb that I wrote, my back of the book blurb, <laughs> as if I would write. The only, so far, the only blurb I've, well, I've written two blurbs for the backs of books. One was for um, uh, Cheap Eats Toronto, uh, about, uh, about. Uh, Cheap Eats Toronto? Yeah. yeah oh, random. Yeah. I, well, I actually, I actually wrote uh, um, some entries for Cheap Eats Ottawa many okay. years ago. So I've, I've written about food here. So that's how I go. And the other one was for a. Uh, Full Audemars Billick's uh, book of, uh, oh, excuse me, that's just our personal assistant <coughs> chiming in for no particular reason, <laughs> other than just wanting to listen to our conversations and report us to whoever the authorities. Uh, but anyway, Volodymyr Billick's, uh, who's from Ukraine, his uh, collection of uh, scenic writing called Codex, I wrote one line and it's on the back. Those are the only two I've ever written. So if I was, if I were to write a book, uh, a blurb on the back of the book Blue uh, which I pronounce as Blue, but uh, whatever. Now, <laughs> in a series of prose poems, Nelson writes about eroticism, feminism, language, writing, personal loss, depression, loneliness, and pain through the medium of the color blue. She references art, film, philosophy, physics, metaphysics, myth, psychology in her book. It is a book that requires multiple readings, devouring whole, and nibbling like a cookie, each delectable salty peanut butter crunch. I was eating a peanut butter cookie at Happy Goat <laughs> on Elgin when I read part of this. <laughs> I highly recommend the cookie and also Blue. I, re- I actually read I, f- I first got this book on my Kindle, so I plan to buy an actual copy of it because it's so good. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take each each one of these numbered pieces and just uh, 
and just cut them, cut them up, and stick them around in various places in books, and randomly in other books, and anonymously in or on lampposts. Lampposts, yeah. Um, I mean, she's a lot of things I like about this too. Is she's very um, frank. Like she, she yes. says, um, yes. here, number four. I admit that I may have been lonely. I know that loneliness can produce bolts of hot pain, a pain which, if it stays hot enough for long enough, can begin to simul simulate or to provoke. Take your pick. An apprehension of the divine. This ought to arouse our suspicion. She writes in in italics and in in parentheses. Like, I don't know. I love I I love everything about this. Like, there's. I try. I read something else of hers called the Argonauts. Have you ever read any more um, of her? I have not, but I would like to. The one. Argonauts is is primarily about motherhood, and I found it interesting. I really did. I didn't I didn't quite relate to it, having not been a mother. But um, well, not that you can't you can still relate. But I, I wasn't as as uh, gobsmacked by it as this. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very good book, but it just wasn't as as for me. This is this has a lot to do with with uh with i don't know so many things like there's just a lot here and that book too had a lot going on but it was it was a bit more of a narrow focus i think it might have come out earlier this book is from wave books an american publisher published in 2009 yes that is correct uh, fun thing to say <laughs> <laughs> all right Any, anyone else have it? have it has anyone read anything like this before this sort of series of prose poems and anything does this conjure up any any memories of good stuff and or bad stuff or i don't know what uh, not particularly. Like, yeah. I was planning on reading that, but I just didn't get uh, time to this week before um, sitting down with uh, y'all. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I, for whatever reason, I've just never quite gravitated towards prose poems. I think it's probably partially to do with my uh, inclination towards the shorter poems, as and I mentioned like, before. Are you a real line break person? You you like you break for lines? And I, I <laughs> am obsessive with line breaks, uh, both in my own constructions and with other people's poems like I die uh, like the meaning with like how it shifts the meaning on anything that's all I care about with line breaks like I I'm a little bit too obsessive with oh, them no, to be I, honest it's interesting and, and Aaron is very much of a prose poem person a PPP I do like some like poems that don't have no you do breaks, I, I know I've that you gotten do. into the habit of, you of yourself, sentences yeah. i love sentences yeah that's why you alisa robertson is such a big yeah yeah, yeah. i started with gertrude stein i think was the well i think i like prose poems before that but just reading tender buttons and like i think she has a line of there how she loves sentences as well it's just yeah, yeah i'd start with baudelaire i was 18 oh, enough yeah. of that story we don't need to <laughs> Aaron, have like you read robert has if you like prose i don't think so i feel like you should read some Robert I should Haas. read Robert Haas. Yeah. And, and while we're recommending, there's a great <laughs> essay uh, by Dennis Cooley all about the line break that I think you would like. And I think I have it. Whoosh, I might have it as a PDF that I can I can, I can can uh, give you. So <laughs> no one at home is listening to that. But anyway, it, it, it's, it's a great essay about line breaks. So. And it helped me sometimes because I, I feel like I, it can be so arbitrary sometimes. I go through phases where I write a mix of... I, I, I'm, I'm currently writing a lot of hybrids of essay prose poem stanza poems yeah, like the that's kind what of I like, yeah. yeah mixed together and yeah. carson-esque kind of stuff yeah. yeah 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 well yeah that's the thing with me like because i really do enjoy like full sentences and poems as well and that's how i try to write where it's like all there and like i am meticulous with uh including the punctuation and all that but I'm all about taking that and then doing the line breaks to try to create a secondary meaning right. or yeah. a like different emphasis. It a little bit, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, no, I definitely would be interested in reading that because that's... Anything that can help me be better, that's 
all I want in my well, life. <laughs> I mean, something that's always stuck in my head is how a line break is in an in and of itself, its own form of punctuation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And um, I uh, I get frustrated by arbitrary line breaks um, because I do think it needs to have that that strong emphasis. And then where you can take that te- technique and, like you said, apply a, a different meaning from what's already being conveyed in in the language. I think that only strength strengthens a piece more. So. Yeah, it definitely adds another layer. I think what a, a big thing that I like about sentences is that it gives the full rhythm of speech, like a natural speech rhythm, which I really uh, in, enjoy. And it's more, it can be performative and like you can yeah. write it in which the way in which you can hear it as well. I, guess. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to a friend over coffee recently who is having some health issues. And what they said is that um, playing with the line and sort of um, line length and uh, line breaks and all that, and the sentence, all this stuff, um, they were having trouble with their breathing. So part of it was mm. uh, when they, one of the works that they had published years ago um, compared to now where they're having health troubles and it's hard for them to, it would be hard for them to read it yeah. the way it was. So that's, there's so much in that. Mm-hmm. There's so much in that. You can replicate all kinds of things yeah. with or without line breaks. Yeah. You can, you know. I, yeah, yeah, I remember being young and writing pieces. I was heavily influenced at an early age by slam poetry, but I never yeah. became a slam poet because yeah. I really think I'm just like not cool enough and that's why. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, this so, is uh, now a challenge for, for spoken word series <laughs> to invite Fiona to craft a spoken word poem and show her that she is indeed cool if that's her. And I'll drop a sick slam on, you know, it'll be about like Greek mythology or something. I it'll think that would be super cool. Who doesn't want to read that? I want to hear that right now. Do it. <laughs> but yeah, oh, oh God. Um, but yeah, so early pieces I wrote heavily influenced by slam and I, I noticed I'd try to write them in a way that where I'd be like speaking really quickly and using a lot of abstract language, but... It, almost similar to your friend like as I've gotten older and gone back to like edit to them I'm like this is a stupid way for me to read this poem out loud it's not a slam poem I like can't let's breathe anymore <laughs> let's reconnect some of these lines and make the pauses like really emphasis and like not try to like I don't know get through it all in one breath but do you do yeah. you go back and revisit poems from a long time ago all too? the time yeah, all the yeah. time yeah yeah do you do you do that Helen uh, well, not so much, but that's mainly just because, like, uh, the stuff that I've been writing that I actually uh, think is actually worthwhile is only, like, a year and a half back. Yeah. Everything before that, it, I've kind of just considered it to be a wash <laughs> because um, it it's kind of ridiculous and I feel like kind of a cliche where, like, as soon as I... Uh, started doing more of the social transition and got on hormones and all that. Yeah. Suddenly it's like, oh, I'm actually writing about something rather than trying to be clever but saying nothing. Mm, right. Well, so, I'm still doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> I just find sometimes you can find like a nugget of a line that you can yeah, you rework can into back. something completely yeah. different. Like why oh, lose yeah. a beautiful metaphor just because like you said, you were, it's not a strong overall piece, but yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Like I do... Things. Like, actually, in my bag, I have, like, my four old notebooks from the past year and a half. I do do periodic uh, dives into my old, like, handwritten notebooks. It's just that at this point, it's only... It was more than what well, isn't that long ago yet. I'm sure in yeah. like five years yeah. I'll be revisiting old fair, uh, older fair. stuff, but at the moment, none of it's that old. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Do you go back? I'm very meticulous with how I do it. I'll have, like, 
ones that I'm still writing that aren't done yet. I'll have ones that are kind of ready to be submitted and just maybe tweak a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I have my archives. But before I archive anything, I'll go through and, like you said, look for any lines that I could. And I take them out and put them in my plundered line document. Which <laughs> plundered I, line document. Which, love that which idea. I, that is cool. Which, I fear, which every once in a while I'll go through when I'm never That's editing. just a poem in and of itself. Like, exactly. just submit the plundered PLD. line document. Yeah, that's PLD. even a great title. <laughs> it's the not PLD. good as a <laughs> package. Maybe one day. Um, what I do just is... Add some line breaks and it'll be good. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have some. Put um, some numbers in and paragraphs. And yeah. <laughs> call it the new blue A. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, so often what I'll do is I'll edit things in batches like all at once I'll add it like 30 different pieces sort mm -hmm. of uh, the same time and then I'll go through my big long list of plundered lines and see if any might work and mm -hmm. sometimes I'll get a few that way I don't feel like I'm losing anything sounds good I mean I write long poems and poem series so it's my process is a little different because everything I've written is is at least 30 pages long or more right so it's not it's not I, I do write the occasion I call them misfits or randomage the poems that are just individual poems if they just end up being one poem they usually don't go anywhere like they just uh, they get they all might get absorbed into things but so for instance um, I'm still in the process of um, uh, revising a manuscript I started in 2013 it was initially 60 pages long I wrote it in 48 hours Wow. listening to Nine Inch Nails um, Downward Spiral, I think. And then now it's, there you go, it's right up your alley. I can yeah. see Helen looking gleefully at me when I'm saying about Nine Inch Nails. I have two albums that I really like, uh, Nine Inch Nails, specifically Ghost 1 to 4, and I wrote one manuscript for Ghost 1 to 4, which I got for free on, online because they were giving it away for free. And the other one was Downward Spiral. But I've had to go back because the uh, one that um, was initially writ written in 40 hours, 48 hours, it, it was to do with my health crisis, so I've gone back and back. Mm -hmm. This year... Um, I feel like it's close to the end. The city of Ottawa gave me some money to 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 um, finish it up. So now I've got a chapbook coming out um, on the twenty second. That's part of the manuscript. It's called Aftermath or Scenes of a Woman Convalescing. So there you go. That's my plug for that. And it's going to be reading from it on the twenty second at the Carlton Tavern with the other pre small press fair people. There you go. There you go. Pause for coffee. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. You need more. Well, we'll get you more to drink. Did you uh, did you want to do you want to take a quick break maybe and then we'll go to the rest of the books that we have? Should we? Okay, we could take a break and that way we can get uh, more drinks for people and uh, coughing breaks. Okay, one small break. And we're back for a free play period. Apparently, that's what we're calling it. So uh, <laughs> we'll talk about maybe one more thing each. Maybe not necessarily as much detail if we don't have as much to say, but. Do you want to start, Helen? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, first of all, uh, I actually figured out which poem it was in uh, Holy Wild that uh, had that similar device, which was um, boys. And um, yeah, obviously, you don't need me to tell you that Holy Wild is a wonderful book. I mean, it won the Governor General's Award. It's going to be good. But um, not I, necessarily, but it was. This fair, one was. Fair, fair, I don't know. Fair. I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I have no idea. But I just no, no, to no, play no, you're devil's right. advocate. Yeah. You know, like who knows? You're, you're not wrong. You're completely right there. Well, Words don't no. necessarily <laughs> mean anything. But no, it's a really good book. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, in some ways I feel like in construction, kind of the opposite of um, disintegrate, disassociate. Um, because obviously there's uh, some uh, subject matter overlap, but rather than just being uh, what is more my typical style of the immediate, like, 
punch to the gut, just get you to feel something immediately. Yeah. It's more death by a thousand cuts. It's longer poems where it's just you get needled throughout just again and again and again. And sometimes, oh, that one from a couple pages ago, oh, it's back. And just, uh, like... That was a uh, pop, by the way. <laughs> I hope that comes out in the episode. Because uh, not just, um, like, that definitely is the case with um, uh, Love Letter to Trans Girls. I'm hoping I'm remembering the uh, title correctly. But, like, even with titles of the uh, poems, like uh, on page 41, there is a poem entitled Boys, several pages long. And then 57, there's another poem entitled Boys. It just... Recurring. That, yeah, the reoccurring needling of just all the things that's just pile up over uh, life that can just weigh you down, just the tiny burdens and the larger burdens, obviously, but just every little thing that just accumulates over time and just has that oppressive weight and sorrow to it but also refuses to yield to it and uh, has this unbridled joy bubbling underneath that it's just and when, yeah she's fierce in that but really fierce yeah I think that uh, letter to, to trans love letter to trans it's like an anthem right like there's yeah, an anthem yeah. quality to her writing that I really appreciate yeah the um uh, there are several bits in that one that just really uh, work so well uh, for me and that, like I said, nearly uh, have got me crying when reading it in public uh, before. Um, We've got but... Kleenex, you know, so if we need to. You know. <laughs> uh, there we go. Um, like the be as gentle as you can, but forgive yourself for fucking up. You'll fuck up your life so many times you won't remember half of them. <laughs> like... If that isn't something that just cuts deep and is so familiar, um, but there, oh, where was it? there's another one in uh, uh, here that I feel like is something that I really need to uh, keep in mind uh, uh, myself uh, because it's. Uh, this is why some, the dog ear is very handy. Yeah, I just can never bring. I, I need to get more of those like post-it flags. I, I used to I do love both. those things. I do things. the post-it flags <laughs> and mm -hmm. the dog ears. Like I have, I have both going on in my my reading. Um. Well, I can't uh, find the particular uh, line, but there's one bit that's essentially it says that uh, talking about how there are these great women that are wonderful shining lights and to be inspired by them but don't try to become them right to um try to take that inspiration and try to surpass the work they do and that that is i feel like something that so many uh queer people especially uh trans women and i imagine especially trans women of color need to hear that it's that you don't need to model yourself on just the few idols you're given take the inspiration and just grow beyond and just Right. It, it like you said, it's an anthem, and it's an anthem that so many uh, people need, and that is, uh, yeah, one that I feel like I'll be probably reading once a month month for the rest yeah. of my life. Sometimes you just want to take bits of things and like take a poem and just stick it up on the wall and just yeah, go back to yeah. it. 
I, I uh, have you ever read uh, Trish Sala's uh, Lyric Sexology Volume One? I uh, know actually. Oh, it's so good! It's so good. She uh, she's also a trans writer, and she she does this kind of overview of a lot of the trans experience, and and there's all kinds of different styles, like several different styles, and it's really really good. Also, Tannis Franco Quarry, another good one. So highly recommend that one too. Yeah, so lots of good, lots of good, lots of good stuff to read. I'll, maybe I'll put up links to all that when the in the when I always say that, and then when I actually get to the podcast, I sometimes I sometimes forget to put up the links. But, uh, that's it. What about you, Aaron? You have something there? Yeah, I'll just go really quickly because it's not it's not poetry in the typical sense of what a poem would be. But, but I'm uh, so excited to hear about this. Um, well, that's a lot of pressure, Fiona. Um, so one of my big interests is. So my, I guess my main interest in like life is whether it's work or creatively is like the socioeconomic impacts of space or like just how we interact with space around that socially, economically, whatever. So there's this book on um, Ottawa apartment buildings. Uh, since yeah, like the I 19- wanted to buy that. I, I've, I've seen it a couple of times and I, I haven't bought it and I should. Yeah, so I saw it at the Ottawa Art Gallery when I was walking by one day and I love uh, local architecture. Me too. And actually my first sort of foray into like working in poverty area was was gentrification and just noticing gentrification and not having a word for it but just seeing a bunch of condos going up and like neighborhood placing in center town changing and just like yeah. wondering like kind of being confused by it and then eventually researching that and now i work in in poverty policy um so i'm very interested in just apartment buildings and and historic apartment buildings and yeah. just so there's these little essays they're usually just like a page each that have pictures of who, who, uh, right, who, buildings. Uh, do, is it by the same person or different people? series of authors so it's sponsored by the ottawa heritage heritage so heritage ottawa, heritage ottawa. Heritage ottawa. Heritage. Um, several authors and it's like a combination of a little bit of research of the time and of the construction a little bit of description of like uh, I don't know the the, when it was built and when it was built and also just like particularities of the the building like of the materials and how it was uh, the angles things like that and then yeah just like the history of of the building and then some nice pictures of the way it looks they have the hollywood parade that's my favorite they don't but i love that building it's a james and lion and it's my favorite and i always wanted to go in there and i've never had the chance and it was built like in was it built in the 1800s or something it was like 1890 or so yeah and it's a really cool that that architect built other buildings too but it's it's known for its art deco it's Mm. it's one of yeah i used to live like right across the street from it when i was on james there's I, some buildings here that I absolutely love. The Blackburn Arms is another one. That I think. is on. Is it yeah, here? Yeah, I, don't, I don't. That one's okay. I, I've been inside <laughs> just to see the stair, the stairway. The, the like, there's a, a, a spiral staircase. Oh, cool. There's yeah. a lot of. Uh, there's a few on Frank Street that, I, and I think it's a great street for like these old sort yeah. of apartment house. And Cameron things. Anstey wrote a chapbook. He about did Frank, Frank Street when he lived on there as yeah. well. So one of my favorites is The Shepherd, which is on Cooper and O'Connor, which is just like, that's, the, the, there's the inside cover, which is like the staircase from The Shepherd. Oh yeah, The and Shepherd. There's, um, what about The Elfin? Do they have The Elfin building? I, th- I don't think so. That's what it's called, The Elfin so. Apartments, Waverly and... Uh, there is Elfin Apartments, but I don't think it's in here. Andrew King, who's a local mm-hmm, artist, mm-hmm. he did a, a cool t-shirt for uh, The Elfin building. Yeah. They were talking about changing the, taking down, or they... They've removed the, one of the main signs okay. with the elf, the they elf is the still elf. present somewhere yeah. else, but there was something with the elf that they yeah. did remove and retire. So and he you... made shirts, I think, and yeah, he's other really things. interesting. The stuff he does based on sort of he also did um, that civic sign.
sign that was yep. on Carling that for the clinics and stuff. That's that still there. there, at least. Yeah, it's still yeah. there for. Yeah, I hope it stays. It's, 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 it, it will. The oh, community gonna... wants it to stay. <laughs> um, Fiona and I were talking off off air briefly about the Guzenko apartment that's in here oh, as yes. well. Right uh-huh. across the street from my favorite Dundonald Park. Yeah, yeah, I love those. I love yep. those windows. Yeah, yep. the windows and then yeah, yeah. the history behind yeah, the it, history, which Aaron yeah. is going to give us. Um. I am. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, More so than me. But. As you'll remember, um, Amanda, I did a play a year and a half ago yes. that was about the, about e- that, that history and Igor Gazanko and, yeah. and his family and that sort of period. Um, we did it in a park, the play in a park. Um, some of the other buildings that I love in here are um, there's the Dun Cannon, which is on yeah, I love the Dun Metcalf and Cooper. And then That's there's um, the Manhattan which is on mm. Cooper as well. And it's um, right behind it is a different one on Lisgar. And I forget the name of it. I think it might be in here as well. It's just um, when I go around Ottawa versus some other cities like yeah. Vancouver, Victoria, um, Toronto, there's the architecture in Ottawa is just, um, it's, it's beautiful and it hasn't been completely eradicated yet. No. And it's unfortunately sort of slowly moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I think, remember when there was that... Um, for the Canada's 150, there was that weird sort of the two creatures that were outside. Right. Oh, La Machine. Yeah, yeah that. Yeah. Well, and, I remember ranting against that yeah. for some reason. I don't know what and I remember was there like. was a lot of people downtown, I think. Maybe, maybe. that was why. Yeah, oh, it was super crowded. But I remember I thinking, know. hearing about the guy who wanted to do it here, why he wanted Ottawa's, because it still it looked like a living art place because right. of the architecture and the history of it. And it's so true. It, it does look like it's um, a giant art, a giant piece of art, uh, the downtown Ottawa. So... That's why a reason why I really liked like this book. I found it very interesting. And good for you to purchase it from Heritage Ottawa because Heritage Ottawa is out there advocating to save prominent heritage buildings in Ottawa so that we can preserve important architecture like some of the buildings you're talking about in this book and, and others. And um, as we progress into a larger, more dense city, mm-hmm. it's incredibly important that we save architectural gems. Yeah, and you've written quite a lot of place poems too. Oh, yeah. So you write, you often incorporate sort of uh, stuff about place in, in, your, in your writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's buildings and architecture and the way places are laid out is what you know makes the the reality in which we're experiencing. Right, that's what we're interacting. It's specific. With. It's very it specific. specific. Yeah, if yeah. you if you go to Winnipeg, at least it used to be the case because they because they they've they've always kind of been known as a city without a lot of money they, yeah. they are a place that would have kept a lot of their old downtown core yeah. up in the past i mean now i think it's changed but it used to be that you could go to their i can't remember what they call it, it was like a like a factory district they didn't call that something else and you could just go and there's like the old bookstore and everything would be very uh so i was in winnipeg somewhat yeah. recently late last year i think okay. it was i haven't been in a long time and it was the only first time i've ever been there and okay. i was struck by it was wasn't like there wasn't tons of like heritage looking buildings or anything no, but in no. the downtown there was a lot there was a handful of buildings that just had like instead of billboards it just had like billboard things on the sides of these really <laughs> old buildings like advertisements which was really cool which i haven't seen I remember mm. seeing very much in the last i don't know how many years at least something the sort of thing that only can really see in like old movies now that i yeah like those ads on the actual building sides there was an um office building i guess a bank building there and um my ex-father-in-law, because my, my ex-husband is from Winnipeg, so I was there for um, um, 
over 18 years, I was there twice uh, a year. So I spent a lot of time there, mostly being driven around in the cold and stuff like that, but but, um, wearing extra coats. But uh, yeah, and he had an, he had a, um, I guess a studio in this bank building and the ceilings were really high. Mm. It was, and the, just the views were really nice. Like it was really mm. neat. Mm. The light was really interesting. And it's not this far from poetry, the talk of buildings and places and spaces. So no, I think it's, it's still part, part of it. Yeah. But maybe I'll find a link to that so we can see if we can still find uh, copies of the book around. Cause it yeah. looks like, what's the book called by the way? From walk up to high rise, Ottawa's historic apartment buildings. Very great. When, do you know when it, can you look and see when it came up? I think it was this year. Okay. So maybe they, we can still find copies. Yeah. I kind of really want to get one myself, mm-hmm. especially because I... Uh, oh, 2017. Okay. So... Oh. <laughs> because um, when you were flipping through, I uh, noticed um, a friend of mine's apartment building in there, and there you go. it was always such a bizarre construction, the way that one was laid out right, to yeah. me. <laughs> and I know so it's old enough. Out, hmm? You can find out more about it now. Yeah. <laughs> Fiona. Everyone everyone just turned and looked at me all at once. It's your turn to talk. <laughs> um, so like Aaron, the, the second uh, a book I'd like to talk about briefly isn't poetry related, but um, I'm being told that's cool. So... Um, just kidding. You can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Um, after seeing this book on like everyone's bookshelves and on everyone's Instagram I finally broke down and purchased it um I'm talking about of course the subtle art of not giving a fuck by (laughs) Mark Manson um I didn't really know what I was getting into when I purchased it but I realized that I give a lot of fucks like a (laughs) lot of the time and maybe I should um learn how to uh, give less fucks and therefore stress less and maybe live yeah. uh, slightly less anxiety ridden life would be super cool um, so I picked it up not knowing what I was gonna get into and it's uh, I haven't finished it but it's so far it's it's extremely remarkable it's mm. um, he's a very um, bold and um, unburdened writer just you know says things uh, how he wants to um and there's kind of this stream of consciousness in his narrative um you know you know he makes up a metaphor about um a panda wearing like a silly hat and he's like I don't care if you don't like this panda. I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to write about this panda. And so <laughs> it's kind of thoughtful in that way um but then the actual like essences of of what he's getting at is uh, is really great. So I'll read something really quickly, okay. and we can kind of maybe discuss that if we want to. <laughs> Everything worthwhile in life is won through surmounting the associated negative experience. Any attempt to escape the negative, to avoid it, to quash it, or to silence it only backfires. The avoidance of suffering is a form of suffering. The avoidance of struggle is a struggle. The denial of failure is a failure. Hiding what is shameful is in itself a form of shame. Hmm. Pain is a thread in the fabric of life, and to tear it out is not only impossible, but destructive. Attempting to tear it out unravels everything else with it. To try to avoid pain is to give too many fucks about pain. In contrast, if you're able to not give a fuck about the pain, you become unstoppable. Mm. I think that's a very powerful sentiment. It's interesting. It reminds me of... There's a period where I was, I'm not even sure if it was a period, but I've read some things about Eastern philosophy and Buddhism. It reminds me of that sentiment, but with a very different stylistic Without approach. the cursing? <laughs> it's extremely rooted in, in, in Buddhist uh, philosophies. Buddhism is about 
confronting pain, struggle, mm. death, and acknowledging it. Rather um, than trying to repress it or exactly. you know, pretend it's not there. Something Mark talks about in this book is how in modern society we just have there's just so much, right? Right? Like we're inundated oh, yeah. with technology. Uh, our options are um, unlimited. Uh, I'm of the generation that was taught, like you can do anything with your life. Right. Um, <laughs> so I think that's part of why nowadays it's it's harder to get into that more Buddhist mentality mm-hmm. of of accepting things because there's just so much to accept. You don't, or so much to focus on. You don't know where to. I don't know, give your fucks and then... Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Very interesting in this, this month of November where we're, we've already got snow and cold and it's already dark early. <laughs> yep. Sometimes we need things like that to, to, start, to get us through. Absolutely. The worst month of the year by far. Yeah, it can be Really? Worse one. than February? Everyone asked me that? Yes. Because February... February have light, right? You well, February light. you're used to the cold too. In November it's just like you go from it being okay then to just being horrible. And it's the beginning of horrible. The start of Aaron's book on November. <laughs> the art of not giving the a beginning fuck about of November. Horrible. Oh, horrible. February's the second worst, though. I'll give oh, you that. There you go. Or smarch. Smarch. Smarch, smarch weather. <laughs> Speaking of inside jokes. <laughs> oh, I, I suppose we're looking at me now. Everyone's looking at me. So, I, I mean, I'm always reading all the time, mostly what I do. Uh, I just recently read uh, The Blue Road, A Fable of Migration. It's a graphic novel uh, written by the writer, uh, the writer. Well, he writes other things. That's why I say the writer. But he's <laughs> Wade Compton and with illustrations by April Delanoche Milne. And it's just a beautiful fable. Uh, it's a story of a girl who's living at the at the swamp and she wants to get out of the swamp and it's it's how she moves and and it's not it's not allowed to enter the north the the kingdom of the north it's not the north from games of thrones it's a completely mm. different one and the illustrations are just beautiful and it's it's uh it's it's about her pluck and uh it, um um her, her ability not to give up when faced with all kinds of challenges i mean the the, the illustrations are just gorgeous i'll uh, try to get try to find something um, I don't know. It's just it's just very very beautiful. I don't read a lot of this. Is like a a young person's uh, book. I, I but I, I think you can read this at any age. And uh, let's see. So I'll just read the back a little bit. To Lacuna is a girl without a family, a past, or a proper home. She lives alone in a swamp made of ink. But with the help of Polaris, a will o' the wisp. She embarks for the fabled northern kingdom where she might find people like her. The only way to get there, though, is to travel the strange and dangerous blue road that stretches to the horizon like a mark upon a page. Along the way, Lacuna must overcome obstacles such as the twisted briars of the thicket of tickets and the intractable guard at the rainbow border. At the end of her treacherous journey, she reaches a city where memory and vision can be turned against you in a world of dazzling beauty, divisive magic, and unlikely deliverance. Finally, Lacuna learns that leaving, arriving, returning, they're all just different words for the same thing starting over again so yeah it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book i highly 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 recommend it i mean i i read occasional graphic novels uh, but um this one was so lovely and it's kind of stuck with me so i'll put up the link to that one as well the blue road there you go and it was published once more by arsenal pop press so another uh, great uh, publisher anything else we want to say about about um books while we're while we're uh I don't have anything else to say. All right. I want to remind everyone that the Ottawa Small Press Book Fair takes place from noon to 5 p.m. on Saturday, November 23rd at the Jack Purcell Community Centre. And uh, um, that's a place to get more books, broadsides, chapbooks, zines, and probably some graphic comics and other stuff as well. 
And I have one last thing, um, if no one minds. <laughs> uh, so I've been trying to set up, ask people uh, to send us um, audio or text of, say, their favorite book uh, or, or a book or a recent poem they've read or something. And, and I've received so far one response, and that's from an American poet named Hiram LaRue. So we're going to end the episode with um, he, he, where he sent me uh, some audio for the show, and he's talking about Gabriele Colvin. Vocoresi's poem Cistern, which was in the New Yorker July 16, 2018 issue, and I'll put a link up. And she's also reading the poem too, so he, I, I'll put up. Uh, we'll uh, you'll, after after this, you'll hear him talk about the poem, and you can also go and read the poem with. Uh, I'll put up the link as well on the site, and that's about it. I think. Uh, anyone have any final words before we go? Thank you for having us, Amanda and Aaron. It's been nice. Yes, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Come yeah. back again. And yeah, thanks for for coming. Yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Okay, and we'll uh, Aaron and I will will talk to you again, all being well, sometime in December. We'll see. You. This is Hiram Larue in Maryland, USA. I want to thank Amanda Earl for this opportunity to comment on a poem. Um, the poem that has captured my attention here recently is one by Gabrielle Calvo Caressi, which appeared in the July 23rd, 2018 issue of The New Yorker. From its title, I was intrigued. The title of the piece is Mayflower Cistern, I Feel My Pilgrim Worry. I absolutely love that title in its fracturedness. It's almost cubist herald and intrigue. It, like any title should, drew me to the poem. I was keen to see what this poem was all about. And the poem itself did not disappoint. The poem, in fact, continues to surprise with what I would call a wander, a wonder, um, both an unwillingness to perceive and yet a real hunger to know. Uh, it describes exploit. It focuses on conquer. It celebrates the what will I make of in this world? And yes, the worry, the hope, the hate, all of this is packed into the poem. The structure of the poem is also really interesting in its apparent simplicity. It's constructed in almost a deconstructed way, not so much through an unusual line placement or uh, noteworthy punctuation or any kind of special presentation, but instead by the leaps, micro and macro, the mashups, the what I would call pathing that is, yes, paced and grounded in rhythm but provides and presents unexpected at all of its turns. 
It is an exploratory ticket. In all, this is a poem that both opens and closes. Yes, it definitely explores. It pants its stories in really an exhilarating way. So in all, I would say bravo to this poet for conceiving, presenting, offering a very influential poem. Thanks. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak.